There was a debate a few years ago between an atheist and a Christian. Uh, the atheist was a man called Lawrence Krauss, uh, and they were debating this question, is there sufficient evidence for God? And the atheist, uh, who's a very prominent scientist himself, a physicist, he said this, it would be easy to have evidence for God. If I looked up at the sky tonight and I saw the stars rearrange themselves to say, I am here, well then that would be pretty interesting evidence. And it's a good question that he raises, isn't it? Because if God really is all-powerful and he can do anything that he likes, then well, why wouldn't God just paint a picture in the sky or perhaps rearrange the stars to say, it's me, God, and I exist? Wouldn't that be quite easy for God to do? Why doesn't God make himself more obvious? And that's the question that we're dealing with Today And actually, it's a, it's a huge question for all of us, whether we're here today as Christians or atheists or agnostic, or maybe you've, you've not decided yourself, you've not made up your own minds. But it's a huge question for all of us because if there is a God, then there are all sorts of questions that come out of that. Questions like, why are we here? Uh, what's the, the purpose of our existence? And actually, if the God of the Bible exists, then it means that we can have hope and we can have purpose and meaning and we can actually have a relationship with God. But on the other hand, if there is no God, then it means that what I'm doing right now is totally useless. And in fact, any Christian should really pack up and go home because in the end there's no God. I want to suggest today that actually there is a God and that he has made himself clear in two key ways. The first way that he's made himself clear is through the world that we can see around us, through the natural, physical world that we can see and taste and touch. And the second way that he's made himself clear is through the person of Jesus, through the person of Jesus. So firstly, God has made himself clear through the natural world that we can see around us. Listen for a moment to the claim that the Bible makes itself. This is from Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Essentially what this verse is saying is that uh, God has made himself known through his created world. In a sense, you won't hear a voice from heaven saying, it's me, I am God. But in a sense, all of the heavens, if you like, the skies tell us that there is a God. In effect, there's a voice from everything that we see around us that amounts to this. Only a great and glorious God could have created this world. Now, what does that actually mean? Well, there are different aspects to that. But one of the biggest telltale signs that there is a God who's created the natural world is what we call the fine-tuning of the universe. And what we mean by that is that the very structure of our universe is governed by a series of physical laws and a series of constants. And actually, all of these are determined by some very, very precise numbers. And in recent decades, scientists who've examined this have come to the amazing conclusion that every single one of these constants, all of these numbers, seem to have been dialed to an incredibly precise value. 
So if any one of these numbers were altered, even by the tiniest of margins, then there'd be no basis for life whatsoever. There'd be no stars, uh, no galaxies, no chemistry, and no life. Uh, just one example is the force of gravity. It's determined by the gravitational constant. And if this constant was varied by just one in 10 to the power of 60, no life in this universe could exist. Another example is uh, Stephen Hawking estimated that during the very beginning of the universe, during the Big Bang, uh, that the rate of the universe's expansion, if that had been smaller by just one part in 100,000 million million, then actually the universe would have just collapsed into a massive fireball. Now what's the point of all this? I don't just want to bamboozle uh, you with numbers today. That how we make, uh, what we make of this is that actually it points towards a God who's created the universe. Uh, Anthony Flew was a world-leading philosopher. He spent most of his life as an atheist, uh, but towards the end of his life, he came to the conclusion that there must be a God. He looked at the fine-tuning of the universe, and he realized that it was far too precise to just be the result of chance. He said this, an intelligent being is involved in some way in the design of conditions that would allow life to arise. So there is a precision to the created world that we see around us. And effectively, I want to suggest that today, you really only have one of two choices. Christians are sometimes teased or even mocked for believing in miracles. But I want to say that actually as a human being, you have to pick which miracle you believe in. You either believe on the one hand that all that we see around us, the finely tuned universe that we live in, is all just the result of chance. That actually out of nothing, there appeared everything that we can see around us. That's your first option. And as the scientists and mathematicians will tell us, the chances of that happening and for life to exist are just incredibly small. Or the second option is you say, well, actually, there is a God who has created the universe. And so that's why the universe appears to be designed, because it actually is designed. And it's designed by God. Another way that we can think about God's existence in the world around us is actually when we look at our own uh, selves, at us as human beings. Because human beings, after all, are part of the natural, physical world. Uh, imagine for a moment that you and I are having an argument. Uh, and the, the discussion gets really, really heated. And at the end of that discussion, I storm out of the room in a rage. And I say to you, do you know what? I don't care what you say. Your opinion doesn't matter because you're just a bunch of atoms. You're, you're just a clump of cells. Imagine what your reaction to that would be. Well, you would tell me rightly that actually, well, hold on a second, I'm not just a bunch of cells. I'm not just this collection of atoms. There, there is actually something more going on in me. We all have this concept of the inner self. Some people might call it consciousness. It's the part of us that can feel the part of us that loves and that hates, the part of us that thinks, the aspect of us that longs for justice. When we see an injustice going on in the world, we cry out for justice to be done. Well, that part of us, that inner self, only really makes sense if we believe that actually there's a God who's put that in us. And the Bible tells us that we are made in the image of God. And so whenever we, we feel this sense of wanting justice to occur in the world, it's actually a reflection of the God who is himself the epitome of justice. Whenever we say that we love other people, that that is a reflection of the God who is love himself. 
You see, on a naturalistic worldview, if you just say, well, all that we see around us, that is all that there is, just a material universe. Well, then actually, you've, you've got no objective basis for love, or for justice, or for beauty, or any of these things that we hold dear. If we say that there is a God, then we actually see that we reflect God's glory, that we reflect, reflect his characteristics. So I want to put it to you that God is, yes, he's invisible, but the, the impact that he has upon this world and upon us is very visible. The Bible says this, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly, clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. And so the claim is that by looking at the world around us and by looking at ourselves, that God has actually made himself abundantly clear. Secondly then, God makes himself clear through the person of Jesus. Now you might say at this point, well that's all very well and good. There seems to be evidence for a God who's created the universe. But how do you get from that to the God of the Bible? And I want to suggest today that actually Jesus himself is the representation of God. He is God in the flesh. Now I realise that this is a bold claim. And there are lots of opinions and views about who Jesus is. Some people will say that he was a good man, maybe a spiritual guru. Other people even question whether Jesus existed at all. But I want to say that Jesus is actually God, far from being a mythical character, that he is God in the flesh. And that he actually has, in this way, made himself clear to us. There's a really popular idea that Jesus is just a good man, perhaps a very good ethical teacher. What's interesting is that Jesus never ever claims himself to just be a good man. In fact, in John chapter 10, he says these words, I and the Father are one. And when he says that, he's not just claiming to be the same as his physical earthly father. He actually is claiming to be one with God, with his heavenly father. And the listeners, uh, whenever Jesus spoke this, uh, they, they understood exactly what he was saying. Because they then said to him, you, a mere man, claim to be God. So the question is, what sort of a person would claim to be God? What sort of a person would claim to be God? C.S. Lewis, who uh, grew up not too far from here in East Belfast, uh, was the author of the Narnia stories. He saw a problem with this very popular idea that Jesus is just a good man. Because he looked at the evidence for himself in the <laughs> and he came to the conclusion that actually Jesus can only be one of three things. One of three things. He's either a liar, or he's a lunatic, to use the old terminology, he's mad. Or he is the Lord himself. He said this, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. Now you might say, hold on C.S. Lewis, just for a second. What about if there's another option? What if Jesus was a legend? You know, maybe the, the church made up all these stories about Jesus years after he died. But I just want to very briefly say that that isn't true at all. In fact, there's just too much evidence that confirms that Jesus really did live in Israel 2,000 years ago. 
There are plenty of non-Christian writers who testify to the life and the work and the death of, of Jesus. And so, for example, in the first century, you have the Jewish historian Josephus, who documents Jesus' life and his ministry and also his death as well. And Jesus is also mentioned by Roman historians like uh, Suetonius and Tacitus. And that's just the non-Christian sources. But actually, we have reliable information from the New Testament as well. So, for example, in Luke's Gospel, if you read that in the New Testament, he wrote this document to uh, be a historical account of Jesus' life. And we know that because that's actually what Luke says in his document itself. But not only that, but his Gospel is packed with references to historical people and places and events. Uh, so rulers and high priests and so on. And what's really amazing is that many of the details in Luke's Gospel have been confirmed by archaeological discoveries, especially over the last few decades. In the early 20th century, uh, there was a, an archaeologist called William Ramsey, and he was based in Oxford University. He was a leading scholar of his day, and he was very sceptical about the reliability of the New Testament, uh, particularly the, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, which was also written by Luke. And so he went out, he took a trip out to a place called uh, Asia Minor, where the books were set. And he was trying to really just debunk uh, Luke. He wanted to prove that actually Luke was totally unreliable as a historian. But after many years of study, he came to a very different conclusion. He said that the book of Acts was written with such judgment, skill, art, and perception of truth as to be a model of historical statements. And in fact, William Ramsey himself became a Christian after he conducted uh, this research. And so the evidence is really strong, not only that Jesus existed, but actually that we can trust and rely upon uh, the accounts that we have in the New Testament as well. So we know that Jesus really existed, but he wasn't a legend. So let's move on then to the next option. What if Jesus was, was mad? What if he had these just grand delusions about himself, you know, this God complex? Is that what was going on? There are two uh, psychiatrists called Andrew Sims and Pablo Martinez. They've recently written a book called Mad or God, which I highly recommend. And they look at Jesus' life from a medical perspective using their expertise. And they concluded that actually, far from being insane, Jesus had what they say was the soundest mind of all. And they outlined the four features of mental illness. They say there are the symptoms of the patient, uh, there's loss of function, there's disturbance in their relationships, and then also there's disturbance in their uh, self-image. Now according to these four criteria, Jesus didn't display any signs of mental illness whatsoever. He had full clarity of thought. Uh, in fact, his teaching is still held up as some of the wisest and most profound ethical teaching ever given. It's not the uh, the teaching of somebody with psychosis, which you'd often expect would be incoherent. What about loss of function? Well, he was able to carry out his activities very, very well. He had a packed schedule of preaching and teaching, spending time with his disciples, healing people, and he spent time in prayer and meditation. He had no loss of function. What about his, his relationships? Well, we know from reading the Gospels that actually he had a wide array of relationships with both men and women, and, and they were devoted followers of Jesus. So he had the deepest of friendships. There was no disturbance in his relationships. 
As these two doctors, Martinez and Sims, say, there is nothing to substantiate a claim of delusion, hallucination, thought disorder, or any other indicator. There is no record in his case of depression, anxiety, or impairment judgment. So if Jesus wasn't mad, if he wasn't insane, was he then a liar? Was he a liar? Well, there are two reasons why we can say with confidence that Jesus was not a liar. He was not a liar. Firstly, there's the response of his own followers uh, that show that Jesus had uh, full integrity and strong moral character. So Jesus made these claims to be God. And he spent time with his disciples, these group of men, day in and day out for three years. Now, if you spent a week with me or even a day with me, you would know that I am not God. I could make all the claims that I like to be divine, but you would know very quickly that I'm not God, because I have all sorts of limitations and shortcomings and failures. We know that to be human means that we make mistakes and we do wrong things, but Jesus actually was the only perfect human being who ever lived. When Jesus claimed to be God, his followers didn't make fun of him, they didn't denounce him and reject him but they actually confessed him as Lord. One of his disciples, Peter, said this about him. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. You might say, well, of course, Jesus' disciples were. They're a little bit biased. Of course, they're going to say things like that about him. But actually, it wasn't just Jesus' followers who couldn't fault him, but his enemies as well couldn't pin anything on him at all. His opponents, the Pharisees, knew that they couldn't find any fault in them. Uh, we look at the response of the Roman governor, Pilate, who was charged with Jesus' trial and his execution. And it says in John chapter 18 that he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. So when we look at Jesus' life, we find a man of incredible uh, moral authority and integrity. So it stands to reason that actually Jesus wasn't lying about his claim to be God's. It just wouldn't fit in with, with Jesus' character. And so it doesn't seem to make any sense to say that he was lying when he was claiming to be God's. And so then finally we, we come to the last option. Was Jesus in fact, is he God? Is he God? Was he telling the truth? Let's look at a few reasons for why this claim is so convincing for millions of people around the world today. Firstly, there's Jesus' character and his integrity. We've already mentioned the fact that Jesus had this amazing integrity and moral character. And the God of the Bible is described in the Old Testament as a God of goodness and justice and perfection. And so it would make sense that if Jesus is claiming to be God, that he would actually be like God. And that's exactly what we see. Jesus' perfect character is consistent with his claims to be God. But secondly then, it's not only Jesus' character, but actually his ability to perform miracles show that he is God. Again, if I went out today in the street to Belfast and looked up at the sky and shouted at the clouds to stop raining, nothing really would happen. I'm just a normal human being, so I don't have any control whatsoever over nature. But Jesus did. He had the power to calm storms. He had the ability to walk on water. And perhaps the most profound miracles that he performed showed that he had total mastery over the power of death. We look at John chapter 11 
And we find there that Jesus was able to raise his friend Lazarus from death back to life. And actually, the eyewitnesses of this account, Mary and Martha, Lazarus's uh, sisters, they knew that Jesus really had raised Lazarus back from the dead. They weren't saying that this was just some sort of trick or a bit of sorcery or that Lazarus was asleep. No, they knew the truth. And in John's Gospel, all of the miracles that Jesus does, they're called signs. They, they point to the fact that Jesus really is God. He's not just a normal human being. Lastly then, the, the greatest miracle really that was ever performed, that the thing that stands at the heart of the Christian faith is Jesus' own resurrection. So not only did Jesus raise other people back to life, but he himself was raised back to life. Uh, we don't really have time to look at this in any great detail at all. Maybe we can talk about it after uh, during the Q&A. But I just really briefly want to go through three of the, uh, the facts of the resurrection. And these are three facts that William Craig describes as the, the three facts that are attested to by the majority of, of New Testament scholars. The first one is the empty tomb. So after Jesus was crucified, only a couple of days later on the Sunday, his tomb was discovered to be empty by his female followers. His body was nowhere to be found. The second fact is the post-crucifixion appearances of Jesus. At various different times and different places, many eyewitnesses testified to the fact that Jesus appeared to them alive. And then thirdly, I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this, uh, the original followers of Jesus, many of them uh, believed that Jesus had risen from the dead, and in fact, they gave their lives for this belief. Now the question has been asked, why would you ever die for something that you knew not to be true? If I was to die for my faith today, then you might say, well, that doesn't really prove anything, because you, you weren't there, you didn't see Jesus rise from the dead. But if you were one of the original disciples uh, 2,000 years ago, and you see Jesus die, and then you, you suddenly believe that he actually came back from the dead, and then the, you're, you're going out there and preaching this message uh, around different cities, and the Roman authorities bring you in, and they, they torture you, and they beat you, they try to convince you to believe again in the Roman gods. Why would you die for that belief? It's another indicator that actually perhaps the most plausible explanation for these three facts is that Jesus really did rise from the dead. Now why is that important? Well I want to suggest that coming back to our question for today, why, why doesn't God make himself clear that actually through the person of Jesus and through the resurrection that God does make himself abundantly clear? But in the end the question here for us today is not really about the evidence. But the question is, what are we going to do with this evidence? Because we all have a response uh, to make. And I hope that you see that Christianity isn't a faith that's based upon just blind faith. It's not a leap in the dark uh, in spite of the evidence, but it's actually a faith that is based upon reliable evidence. And this offer that every single one of us has, to, uh, has today is whether we want to know and trust in the God of the universe. It's whether we want to know Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We have a number of copies of John's Gospel here today for you to take home. And I would really encourage you, if you still have questions about this, please do take this opportunity to read about the life of Jesus in one of these Gospels. Because you'll see through that 
the invitation that Jesus makes to all of us to come and live a life to the full. In the end, we all have this decision to make. But I really do believe that God has made himself very clear through the natural, physical world that we can see around us, and also through the person of Jesus. Thank you very much.